Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaBusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network show and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and uh, as I like to remind you each week, I am also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with uh, Roger Wiegen, who publishes Traded Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling?, and we do have a special introductory offer. Call my assistant in New York, Claudio Bossi, at 718-457-1426. <clears throat> Excuse me, that's Claudio Bossi, 718-457-1426, or go to miningstocks.com. Uh, and another way you can uh, sign up directly for this special offer, uh, each individual newsletter uh, is separately. Uh, you can uh, subscribe separately to each one of those. Uh, we uh, like to also remind you that the best website to go to for everything that I personally do, including the newsletter that I write, the radio show, this radio show actually, it's the best way to access it, is to go to jtaylormedia.com. That's J-A-Y-T-A-Y-L-O-R media.com. And click on the radio show button. It will take you right to this site. Um, want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show in the Voice America Business Channel. And I want to thank the sponsors for this show, uh, making this show economically viable. For the first hour of this week's show, our sponsors are Merrick's Gold, Visible Gold Mines, Lucky Strike Resources, American Manganese, Rye Patch Gold Corp., Romeo's and Romeo's Gold Resources. Well, the markets certainly seem to be pointing to another major decline in the global economy. Today we see the markets are down again, equities, uh, commodities, almost everything. Gold is down big today as well, uh, but more on gold in just a minute. Uh, my inflation-deflation watch has turned decidedly towards the deflation, deflationary side of this equation with a maximum deflationary momentum at this point in time. Uh, as of yesterday, the IDW was, uh, which is a non-weighted, non-back-tested, uh, really uh, electric sort of, uh, or eclectic, I should say, market uh, 
mix uh, that it was really uh, it was established to help me try to determine which way the markets were really going. We can have our own biases and our own views, but this was sort of a broad base collection of major items in the markets, equities and commodities and so forth, to help me get a real sense of where the markets are actually going, not where I think they are or should go. Uh, and this is not, unfortunately, this is not a pretty picture. We are seemingly heading over and into the abyss once again. This is reminiscent, I think, unfortunately, of the kind of environment we had before Lehman Brothers. Um, and in fact, in speaking to next week's guest, Ian McAvity, yesterday, I just spoke to Ian, uh, he is convinced that during the next year, sometime over the next year, we will go down to test the March 2009 lows that followed the Lehman Brothers debacle. Those were frightening times indeed, but there is a very good chance, I'm afraid, that we will face something as bad or worse if we break through the March 2009 lows, as many guests on this show uh, expect we will, most notably Bob Prechter. But this decline is not at all a surprise to one school of economic thought, namely the Austrian economic school of thinkers, could see this coming or something bad coming a long time ago. We who follow that school of thought are quite convinced that the policies of the 1930s were not successful, so we are not surprised that when those same policies are exercised again in spades that we are failing once again. I mean, if, if, one, if one policy fails, what do you do? Try more of the same? Uh, only, only more and uh, more aggressive? Well, I think not. Uh, the problem, I think, is that the uh, 30s were misdiagnosed. And uh, at least that's the way most Austrians see it. Today's main guest is an Austrian thinker and money manager from Zurich, Switzerland. He is Florian Siegfried, who was with us in the past. Uh, I recall sitting on the stage with Florian in Singapore a couple of years ago at an investment conference, listening to his speech. And honestly, it sounded as though I had written it, because what Florian was saying uh, sounded almost 100% like uh, what I would say the views that I had on the economy. They were decidedly deflationary at that time. Of course, Florian does do his own thinking. I'm not trying to take any credit for Florian's good work, but his views and mine are, as I say, almost identical in terms of the great inflation-deflation argument. So I have asked my partner, Chen Lin, to join Florian and myself in our discussion starting at about 3.30 New York time because Chen may be able to challenge Florian's deflationary thinking and also provide some insights into China and whether or not that great emerging nation can be the engine for the world's economy to such an extent that we're able to avoid the next great global depression. I should mention that Chen and I frequently talk about the inflation-deflation issue, and Chen is on the inflation side. So let's bring Chen on. He can uh, perhaps challenge my thinking and, more importantly, our guest's thinking today, uh, Florian. We really want to look for the truth. We have no agenda here in this program other than trying to find the truth. Well, after Chen and I talked to Florian at approximately 4.15 New York time, I expect to talk to Barry Downs. Uh, he's a previous institutional stockbroker. He's retired now. Well, I'm sure he's very active still in the markets, but he understands the gold markets extremely well. Barry is much, also very much in the deflation camp, and for good reason. He married the daughter of a great, the great, the late great John Exter, who was a deflationist thinker. Uh, he was a Federal Reserve economist and perhaps the only one to ever uh, be a, to uh, espouse gold as a monetary system. Uh, in the Federal Reserve and also in the Council of Foreign Relations. He was a member of the CFR as well. John Exter's insights into gold and the deflationary inclination of our fractional reserve banking system of a senior currency will also be explored with Barry 
uh, in a few minutes, or I should say in the few minutes that we have with him starting at about 4.15 this afternoon. Uh, another market that has uh, surprised most Keynesians is the gold market. Keynes called gold the barbaric relic. Who needs it? Uh, indeed, gold does get in the way of the evil mischief created by Keynesian economic theory, which seems to have given license to governments to manipulate markets to keep them from working and thus keep uh, most of the efficient allocation of scarce resources or to avoid the markets from allocating scarce resources and most of all capital efficiently. Austrians like myself, Austrian thinkers like myself, have been long gold now for a decade and it has served us well. We understand that gold is real money selected by the markets, not mandated by politicians. And that is uh, the, the money for various reasons that we don't have time to go into today, but we've talked about them before. The attributes of gold and to a lesser extent silver make those two metals idealistic, ideal monetary metals. We recognize that when the U.S. Uh, went off the gold standard, it paved the way for bankers and politicians to be uh, intimate bedmates who essentially have since robbed those who create wealth, people like miners, manufacturers, farmers, inventors, uh, and others who actually do things of value for human beings. Uh, it, it allowed the bankers and the politicians to redistribute wealth from those people who create wealth uh, into their own pockets and to expand the, uh, to expand the activities of government to such extent that we now have a, a disappearing middle class, unfortunately, in America. Well, Alan Greenspan, our former Federal Reserve chief, uh, certainly did understand that gold was the protector of private property and of economic freedom. In 1966, he wrote a paper called Gold and Economic Freedom, and his concluding words in that paper uh, which was written, uh, actually published in Ayn Rand's Objectivist Newsletter, were as follows, and I quote, This is the shabby secret of the welfare statist triades against gold. Deficit spending is simply a scheme for the hidden confiscation of wealth. Gold stands in the way of this insidious process. It stands as a protector of private property. If one grasps this, then one has no difficulty in understanding the statist antagonism toward the gold standard, end of quote. In other words, the uh, hatred for gold was pushed by politicians who wanted to pass along a socialist, uh, socialist agenda without letting the people know that they're going to have to pay for it. Nixon took us off the gold standard in 71, paved the way for the enormous amount of problems that we have today, the enormous amount of debt, money, uh, and, um, and the problems in the malinvestment that we've had and all the debt is still in the books without the income to service it. But in the end... However, no matter how much these uh, policymakers try to, uh, to avoid market discipline, markets are, in the end, more powerful than politicians and the laws they create uh, to create and to circumvent those markets. And so gold is on the rise, not only in nominal terms, but more importantly, also in real terms. Uh, by that, I mean gold's purchasing power vis-a-vis -vis base metals, food, clothing, etc., the Rogers Raw Material Fund, which I measure it against, now an ounce of gold will buy 48.22% of that fund. Uh, and just uh, right before the Lehman Brothers decline, it would have purchased only 17%. And so gold is rising, its, uh, its real price is rising, and with that is coming a very substantial growth in the profits of gold mining companies. Just to give you an example, there's seven major mining companies. I won't mention them for the sake of time, uh, but the names like Newmont, Kenross, Gold Corp, Anglo, uh, 
Agneagle, Eagle, etc. Big household name companies, seven of them. In 2008, they earned $6.30 collectively. In 2009, that went to $7.94. 2010, it went to $13.41. 2011, the estimates are $21.72. And 2012, the analyst estimates are almost $29. So the major gold producers are now enjoying huge growth in earnings. However, they are not all that good, these, these major companies, at replacing the enormous amount of gold that they are producing. And that is where companies like those who help uh, sponsor this show come in, those junior gold exploration companies with excellent uh, geoscientists uh, and metallurgists and the like uh, and, and good financiers with exploration, uh, with, with all the talent that's required to go out and find the gold. There's lots of them. There are lots and lots of them in Canada, and many of them that I follow weekly in my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Well, I will be talking to two companies on today's show who are sponsors, and uh, uh, both of these companies have excellent exploration projects and I think a very good chance of outlining one or more major gold deposits that could attract major gold mining companies in the future. Not only uh, do both of these companies offer the chance to make sizable gold discoveries, but both of them are currently selling for pennies really, literally penny stocks with gold in the ground and uh, very successful exploration efforts underway. Uh, so uh, in just a couple of minutes, I'll be talking to the first of those uh, companies. It's Gregory, uh, Gregory Eisner. He's the president and CEO of Merrick's Gold. Uh, that's a company that's working uh, with another sizable producer, namely I Am Gold in Mali, uh, West Africa. Then at 4.30, we'll be talking to the CEO of another company operating in Mali, Scott Waldy. He's the president and CEO of of Legend Gold Corp. Uh, both of these companies are having success in outlining near-surface open pitable uh, deposits in West Africa. Uh, and if you were an investor, I don't think you're going to want to miss uh, both of these gentlemen, uh, their prospects. I should mention that both of these companies are recommendations in my newsletter. I do own shares in both of these companies, so we'll get the, uh, the disclosures out of the way. They certainly are worth listening to. I hope you will listen uh, in the next segment. We are going to go to our first commercial break today so that we can get right back with Gregory Eisner and learn about uh, his exciting story in West Africa. Don't go away. We'll be right back uh, after the break with Gregory Eisner. business you'll find the experts here voice america business network Merrick's Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merrick's and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $16 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merrick's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at www.rypatchgold.com. 
Legend Gold Corp. is a gold exploration company with flagship projects in Mali, West Africa. With successful drilling programs and new discoveries this year, we are in an excellent position to advance our two gold deposits. Shareholder value is anchored at Chikamala by a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 600,000 ounces of gold. The recent addition of the Munina project offers the potential for a third gold strike. Legend Gold trades under the symbol LGN on the TSX Venture Exchange. Please go to our website at www. Legendgold.com. Romeo's Gold offers unprecedented opportunities in the final frontier of British Columbia's Golden Triangle, a copper gold rich region with improving infrastructure. Romeo's properties are located in the vicinity of multi billion dollar deposits. With its $6 million plus drilling program underway, Romeo's Gold is focused on developing world class mineral resources in a major upcoming mining district. Northwest Quebec is one of the world's friendliest and most prolific areas for mining and exploration. One of the rising stars in this incredible region is Visible Gold Mines. From the exciting Wasimak area to Jutel, Visible Gold Mines is drilling nonstop in pursuit of the next important gold discovery in Northwest Quebec. Visible Gold Mines has the focus, experience, commitment, and resources necessary to rapidly emerge as a leader in the vibrant Quebec gold sector. Check out VisibleGoldMines.com, VGD, on the TSX Venture Exchange. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Gregory Eisner. He's the president and CEO of Merrick's Gold, Inc. It trades uh, in the, uh, on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol MXI, and you can buy it in the United States under the symbol MXGIF. That's on the over-the-counter market. And uh, with gold getting hit hard today, the equity market's getting hit hard today, in my view, Merrick's gold looks like it's even an even better uh, bargain. Uh, at least that's my view, and of course I'm saying that as having recommended it to my subscribers at, at much higher prices than this, by the way. Uh, and yet the work goes on, and uh, we're, so we're selling at about 41 cents, 42 to 41, somewhere in that range. 119 million shares outstanding, giving giving it a market cap of you know, around 50 million, roughly. Uh, I should mention that, uh, as I did say, that Merrick's, well, I didn't tell you this, that Merrick's is a full sponsor to this show, and I did tell you that they are a recommendation in my newsletter. Uh, and I did tell you, I think, that uh, Merrick's is also exploring for gold in Mali, West Africa. Well, welcome, uh, Gregory, once again to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you, Jay. It's good to be on your show again. Really good to have you, uh, Mali, West Africa. Just really quickly, perhaps you can... Tell our listeners something about Mali. A lot of people, when they hear Africa, they freeze up and they don't 
want to buy anything in Africa as if all the countries in Africa were the same. Give our listeners a sense of the uh, uh, of operating in Mali as opposed perhaps to some of the other African countries. Jay, Mali is an excellent country to work in. They have a, a, a great uh, mining act. Uh, it's the third largest gold producer in Africa. All the major companies are there, and they produce over a million ounces of uh, gold a year in, in West Africa, where we are. Mm-hmm. All the companies like Rand Gold, IM Gold, uh, Anglo are there. So, mm-hmm. and uh, some fairly uh, fa- fairly large mines. Mm-hmm. Well, for the sake of those who maybe haven't heard your story before, Gregory, could you maybe just tell their tell our listeners something about your flagship property, which I believe is the Sarabaya property? You um, you have a certain number of ounces there. What is your resource at this point in time? Our resource is approximately 375,000 ounces of 2.3 uh, grams. That's a pretty good grade. Sure. Uh, that's at half a gram cutoff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is this is because this is an open pit uh, target, isn't it? It, it? it will be open pit. Of course, the uh, the mineralization goes to depth uh, and into the into the sulfide rock, the same as we see at Lulu and Sadiola. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, we've we've drilled it to about 225 meters and. Uh, and it's it's open at depth. And is that 225 meters in the oxides so far, or have you penetrated into the sulfides as well? Primarily in the oxide, yes. And uh, and some of our holes have gone into the uh, into the sulfide, the harder rock. So it, it it will be it will definitely start as open pit. Okay, so you so 375,000 ounces now with a half a half a gram. I think you said cut off 2.3 grams per ton is a very good uh, is a very good open pit grade for these this day and age anyway a lot of mining companies are making money at less than one gram well uh, what do you know about the metallurgy is there is there any any complication there um, the initial testing on metallurgy shows no problems uh, that was done some time ago and uh, you know we're very optimistic about that the um, uh, the mineralization comes to surface open pit as you say and uh, it's interesting. We took that project from uh, grassroots to the stage it is now, and uh, and uh, f- have see various uh, structures on the property that have potential and have to be drilled. Mm-hmm. Well, you have a good partner. I am Gold certainly is, uh, you know, respected gold producer. Uh, more or less, how many ounces of gold does I am produce a year? I am produces um, approximately a million ounces a year from their mines in West Africa and in South America. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a great partner. Uh, they're earning fifty uh, percent of the uh, the uh, project, and they should have that done, Jay, by uh, the end of this year. Okay, by the end of this year, then after that, it means that you are going to need to go in and spend fifty percent of the future exploration. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, they will have spent uh, $10.5 million to earn their 50% in our project, and after that, uh, it, it's a 50-50 JV, and we'll match the expenditures, and uh, there's a joint management committee that uh, makes up the program, and uh, we have, and I'm sure you're going to ask the question, we have approximately $13 million in the Treasury, so we're, um, we're well-funded at this point and, and won't have to uh, uh, dilute to, to match IM Gold, certainly for 2012. Well, that's that's very very important. I'm glad you pointed that out because one of the biggest risks that shareholders 
face with these kinds of companies, especially in a weak market like we're experiencing now, is the threat of dilution. You've got to spend your money to stay to stay in the game and hold your position. Well, okay, so you have 375,000 ounces. That's hardly a number that's going to get too many major mining companies terribly excited. But I would gather that most of this $10.5 million expenditure by IM Gold has, uh, you haven't seen the results of those, those drill results coming out too much yet, or have you? Have we had some drill results? We've had, uh, uh, since the last time we spoke in, in June, we've had uh, auger, RC, and uh, uh, diamond drilling results. But it's interesting, our, um, our resource is uh, uh, composed over uh, one kilometer of a 10-kilometer structure, and uh-huh. uh, that structure has uh, two substructures, and we're presently have outlined um, and identified that the second substructure has the same signature as the original resource uh, area. So um, we're looking at expanding this significantly. The, the program that I Am Gold carried out in the last uh, year and a half was basically an RC program to look at how big the footprint was of this mm. uh, permissive rock. Oh, okay. So not that much diamond drilling? Uh, We've... Um, We've uh, uh, started a 10,000-meter diamond drilling uh, program this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, uh, we've completed 6,500 meters uh, up until the, the rain season. Uh, and a few months ago, uh, we expect to go back to diamond drilling uh, during this month, October. Um, and we are putting out uh, diamond drill results uh, uh, um, during, during the summer months, and we have some more results coming in. So... Um, we have uh, both uh, diamond drilling, RC, and auger to complete uh, during the rest of the year. Well, certainly the market, I mean, I, I think in this kind of a market, when the share prices are down substantially, uh, it almost doesn't matter what your results are. The market's not paying a lot of attention, but I, for one, like to know what those numbers are going to be, would really like to know what they're going to be. Um, I mean, uh, you can't say because you don't know yet, but when do you think you'll have a 43101 resource uh, put together, uh, an updated one? We're looking at an updated resource uh, during early 2012. Um, it'll, uh, um, um, it'll be uh, completed after we finish our diamond drilling, and uh, certainly, uh, you know, the first quarter, the first half of 2012. And we're looking at really uh, a surface target only at this point in time, so I would imagine you can get quite a bit of data and and potentially, if your results are good, could come up with some pretty good numbers perhaps. Uh, Well, we've released, uh, in our last uh, diamond drilling uh, release, we released 37 meters of uh, 2.1 grams uh, Uh um, near surface, so that's pretty significant. Uh, We have some similar numbers from RC. So it, it appears that the, the footprint we're identifying with the RC uh, matches what we've seen in the, uh, the resource area itself. Yeah, so we're looking at one-tenth of the strike length of, and then a substructure. So you never can, can sort of project numbers for sure because you can't assume continuity. But I guess the, um, the listener can sort of get in, the, in his own mind what, what might be possible here. We, we certainly would be looking at something with the potential. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but something in the potential of a multi-million ounce deposit on surface. Is that possible? I certainly believe so. Um, 
certainly that's, that is the, the indications that we've received from all our preliminary work with geochemistry and MEG and, and IP, and uh, we see no interruptions in the, uh, the actual footprint that, that, that uh, hosts the deposit, the uh, resource. So um, we, we can see uh, um, multi-million ounce potential. Infrastructure is always very important. They're telling me I only have one minute. I'm going to ask them for another minute or two. But infrastructure is always important. Give our listeners a sense of the infrastructure uh, situation there for the Sarabaya. We're south of the Salome River, and I am Gold have committed uh, with another company to uh, build a bridge over the river to give greater access to, to the property. Uh, we release that they're increasing the size of the camp, building a modern camp with a modern kitchen, bunkhouses, and uh, a dispensary. And uh, so certainly the uh, the facilities there will, will be good. There, it's uh, The um, area is similar to that area that hosts the other big mines in the area, Lulu and Sadiola. Mm-hmm. Uh, one minute left. What do you? Uh, we we always like to address the risk issues. What are the biggest risks you got? In my way of thinking, you've got 13 million in the bank. That relieves me to a great extent of my anxiety about risk. But what would be the biggest risk that uh, that shareholders should be aware of right now? One of the biggest challenges we have is the uh, getting assays back in time, and mm-hmm. that certainly slowed us up, and uh, we're, we're, we're battling that now. Uh, certainly by the end of the rain season, which is on now, we'll have them all back. Um, we see, uh, it's, uh, talk about risk, it's, it's relatively low risk considering the, uh, the footprint is getting bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting to watch for sure. Um, multi-million ounce deposits is what... What the big guys want, they're burning through ounces very, very rapidly. They're making lots of money these days. I haven't followed IAM's progress, but some of the other companies are making record profits. They're really growing very dramatically. Is that your sense at IAM? Are they doing very well? IAM is doing very well. They, uh, uh, their stock is doing nicely. They're, they're, um, they've sold a couple of mo- small mines in, in Ghana. They've got a huge cash reserve, and uh, they're a great partner. Well, is there anything else you would like to tell our listeners before we uh, conclude our discussion today? I would say uh, watch for our news coming out. We've got a lot of drilling results coming out. Uh, we're getting back to drilling during October, and we have, uh, with the, uh, the the large RC program, we've identified uh, many, many diamond drilling targets. Well, that's really, really good. We certainly will be watching it. I'll be watching it for my subscribers, that's for sure. Greg, we want to thank you so much for coming on with us again. We look forward to hearing from you again in the future. Uh, folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Swiss money manager Florian Siegfried and also my partner Chen Lin. Uh, we're going to talk about the gold markets, of course, and much, much more, the European economy, etc. So don't go away. We're going to be right back with Florian Siegfried and my partner Chen Lin. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Merrick's Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merrick's and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $16 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merrick's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits.
Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at www www.rypatchgold.com Voice America Business Network The bottom line in business Welcome to the human race Some kind of love and ride I'll be sliding down I'll be gliding down Try not to try to it's just a love You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me today, for a second time, from Zurich, Switzerland, money manager Florian Siegfried. Florian uh, is uh, the CEO of Precious Capital Limited. It's a privately held firm based in, as I say, in Zurich, uh, and it specializes in precious metals and mining investments. Precious uh, Capital has very recently been ranked by the Wall Street Journal. Well, it had been at least. I'm not sure that it has been in the last couple of months, but earlier was ranked as one of the most successful, uh, um, one of the most successful investors or fund managers in this space. Uh, and uh, Mr. Siegfried was formerly the CEO of Shape Capital Limited. That's a publicly traded investment company found founded by uh, Bank Julius Baer and Company in Zurich. Uh, Florian holds a master's degree in economics from the University of Zurich, uh, where one of his studies was uh, in Austrian economics, and it is because of his views in Austrian economics that uh, he probably, he and I, uh, have such close views. Uh, he is a regular speaker 
at various resource investment conferences in Switzerland and as I noted in Asia where I listened to him talk and I thought I must have written the script. It was so close to what I believed. Also joining me today is my partner Chen Lin who is well acquainted with Florian. The two of them talk, I understand, frequently. Uh, Chen and Florian uh, trade notes on the economy and markets and as I say on a fairly regular basis and because Florian and I pretty much take a deflationary view and Chen an inflationary view, I thought it would make a lot of sense to have Chen come on the show today uh, to perhaps challenge uh, the views of, of myself and Florian. So welcome, Florian, and also welcome, Chen. Pleasure, Jay. Thank you. Thanks, uh, both of you, for taking your precious time uh, to share with our listeners. Uh, Florian, let's jump right into the European situation, uh, Greece. What are the chances of Greece surviving in the euro? What are the chances of the euro itself surviving, in your view? Um, well, for the euro personally, I don't think it will survive in the current form. There is uh, no way. Um, Greece, um, the question right now is should they leave the eurozone, yes or no? Um, what we see overall in uh, you know, Germany, in the Netherlands, uh, even in Eastern Europe, is a rising opposition against bailing out other nations. So they don't want to have this transfer union where basically everybody um, is in one group and um, money is just shared among the different governments. And I think we are at a turning point because um, last week um, this new bailout uh, fund Rescue Fund uh, passed the German Parliament. It was a harsh discussion before. Finally, it went through. But that is not representative. Uh, when you ask people on the street, ordinary Germans, 75% oppose bailing out Greece. And the same is true for Finland. And when you would do votes like this in uh, the Netherlands or France, I think it would be quite similar. So... The latest tranche to Greece, which should have already been paid, has been delayed. And, of course, Greece has missed its targets. The economy is shrinking at about 15% annualized. Mm. So this is already like a depression. Sure. And government uh, spending is not reduced. It's still continuing to grow. And what they do now, they just you know, increase all kinds of taxes, of fees for the ordinary little people, and there is rising opposition in Greece. So you have opposition against these austerity measures in Europe by the creditor nations and by the debitor nations as well. And I think that is only the beginning, because Greece has more than 300 billion uh, uh, euros in debt, and in my view there is no way to rescue Greece. There is no way to rescue Europe because this uh, Europe Rescue Fund, they're talking now about leverage and bringing more efficiency to this program, which is completely absurd. Because 440 billion, you have to put this into relation to this uh, total debt of this uh, PICS, so Portugal, Ireland, uh, Italy, Greece, and Spain. Total debt alone there is 3.5 trillion. So we are not talking about even 15% of total debt. And Greece is only 2% of the Eurozone economy. And when you see what kind of nervousness it has created already, such a tiny economy in the European system, 
uh, and the euro is breaking down against the dollar today again, what will happen when the others get into the same problems? And mm-hmm. the question is uh, clear, the answer is clear, the euro cannot survive as it is right now. Okay, so we'll... A small country like Greece, why is it such a problem? Is it because of the small amount of capital that these various banks in, in the lender countries have on their books? Is that, is that the problem? So that even a small amount of default uh, in Greece will start to affect the capital structure of many different banks in Europe? Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> the whole banking system in Europe is highly over-leveraged. Um, I did some calculation, for example, for BNP or Société Générale, so two of the biggest French banks and leading European banks, global banks. And uh, when I do the math, BNP has a leverage ratio of 27. Société Générale has one of even 50. So Greece, I mean, well, I, don't, I don't know how much uh, allocation they have to Greek to, uh, to, uh, government debt, but only when you take 50 or 40% haircut, these banks will be in serious trouble. But there is mm-hmm. no question about that. And I think the market is very nervous about what's happening in the banking sector. And especially today, uh, we had the news that uh, Dexia, that's uh, leading uh, Belgium-French banking group, mm-hmm. has been bailed out already with taxpayer money in 2008. Mm-hmm. And um, its share was just in a free fall the last few days, uh, today another 30%. And um, they have like 27 billion euros or dollars in sovereign debt. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know how much they have in capital, but when you have, take a 50% haircut on these positions, I would be sure that this bank is wiping out its capital entirely. Well, Florence- so I think after this credit crisis in 2008, um, uh, you know, these government bonds, all this, uh, this fancy money that has been printed eventually landed in the banking sector. It was uh, given that it was a secure investment, and now one sees it is not. And I think the banks today are in a much worse situation than in uh, three years ago. Uh, well, to, well, Florian... Where is the money going to come to bail out? Um, if I mean, they could bail out Greece, I suppose, but Greece, the Greek people aren't changing their habits, right? They're continuing to live the same way. Um, where is the money going to come from to bail these countries out? I guess basically what you're saying is that it's not there. Yeah, it is not there. <clears throat> well, the first thing is um, they try to impose all kind of new taxes, like a property tax, and then you have a square meter of living room, you pay four additional euros, and they want to charge this by sending you uh, an an extra uh, electricity bill so they can collect. Mm -hmm. But even, you know, the the utility companies, they are now opposing those moves because they they will probably not get the money collected for the government. So I think sourcing these government uh, deficits internally by posing new taxes on the people is not going to work. So the second thing is, um, the, first, the second source is, um, will China, for example, be uh, in such a position? I think uh, that's a clear no. Mm-hmm. They will probably give money, but they want to have a collateral, and the collateral is questionable at this time what it would be. Mm-hmm. So I think opposition from this side as well. The third 
um, uh, possibility is this rescue fund. So um, they have some capacity there, but they have, you know, uh, restrictions. They have to meet their targets first, the Greeks, before they get the new funding. And um, so that is uh, really now in a difficult situation. And the fourth problem now is that they try to leverage this rescue fund. So we have 440 billion euros, I guess, in capacity. Um, and what they want to do is um, uh, this fund should be, you know, work like, uh, like a central bank. So it should actually buy all kind of government bonds then handing this government bonds to the ECB, and the ECB is providing money to the rescue fund. So it's, I mean, it's so, it's so weird, and it, it will not work. It's just more credit by creating a parallel structure um, with the intention to fund these uh, bankrupt nations. And the market is clearly not providing enough uh, uh, confidence in mm -hmm. these kinds of structures because this is really like a structured product with an enormous leverage. And I don't know which private investor would ever give money to such a thing in these current times. Mm -hmm. Well, help me understand a little bit the politics of Germany. You're, in, you're a Swiss, uh, Swiss citizen, but Germany's next door to you. Uh, Mrs. Merkel lost a lot of a lot of power. Uh, she lost a, an election. I think there was. A, you help me out in understanding this, but I, I understand her political base has eroded because of her support for uh, the big banking interests and and uh, you know the sovereign debt issue. Uh, her position on all of that, and yet she stands up with the banking interest, with the large corporate interest. Um, what's going to make that change? I mean, it seems like. You know, it doesn't seem to matter much what the people think in these countries. It's, it's you know, the power structure, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, in her position, probably she has no other uh, uh, alternative than just approving these kind mm -hmm. of bailouts, regardless of what the population really thinks. Because, as we have seen in 2008, these uh, German uh, so-called Landesbanken, who are mm -hmm. um, basically under state control, um, by the local uh, governments, they were the worst. They really speculated in all kinds of housing, mortgages, uh, products, and I think they are highly involved also in the sovereign debt of, of Europe. Hmm. So by declining any measures to further bail out those countries, she would really make it very difficult for the German banks. And um, uh, I think there is just too much pressure that uh, another possibility for Mrs. Merkel is not uh, currently thinkable. And it is also, I mean, you, you mentioned it already, Jay, um, the, the, the elections were dramatic for Germany, I think, because... Mm -hmm. When you look at, uh, you know, the left is gaining ground, the, 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 the real liberals, um, uh, they were below 2% sometimes. So they are still sharing the government with the Christian Democrats. And that's putting even more pressure on her because with the party that is really now marginal by the votes, um, the question is here, should they stay in power with the Free Democrats or not? or should there be another kind of uh, coalition in Germany? So I think the whole crisis has already started to spread into a political uh, uh, discussion, 
and I think it will bring changes in the near future in the one form or the other. So you think the populist will ultimately prevail, the people will be mad as hell and they won't take it anymore, and then you'll get a government in Germany and finally the Germans and maybe the French too will say no to bailouts uh, to Greece and then Portugal and Ireland and potentially, I guess, the real big ones are Italy and Spain, right? Yeah. I mean, you see it in France. This, uh, there is a left, uh, a right-wing party from uh, the former uh, founder, Jean-Marie Le Pen, and his daughter is running a very uh, brutal campaign against uh, everybody, up against the socialists, but also against Sarkozy. And when you see in, in southern of France, she made about 40% of the votes, and that is already... Uh, dramatic. I think you will see more nationalism because these people oppose any kind of bailouts. Mm-hmm. But it is the, I mean, they are the only language which probably support a more liberal view, while the conservatives, the liberals, and the, the socialists, I mean, their programs don't differ anymore from each other in, the, in this question. And mm-hmm. I think Probably the same situation is happening in Finland already with the free Finns. In the Netherlands, there are right-wing movements. I think you will see more of this coming across Europe as the situation deteriorates. And with that, I would guess uh, a lot of market turmoil, both in the United States and, and in Europe, equity and uh, equity markets anyway, and maybe a continually a stronger dollar as long as this unwinds. Do you see that? Yeah, I think the dollar has been completely oversold in uh, June, July. And um, the big advantage of the U.S. is they speak with one language, they have one government, and they can decide rather quick. Whereas in Europe you have, I don't know, 27 governments or whatever, and you have to reach consensus. And in these critical discussions, it's almost impossible. So I think the whole European idea of unity is really being tested right now, and the euro, I mean, these government bonds, they are not liquid anymore. You go into short-term U.S. treasuries if you want liquidity. And that's what, is, that, is that what's driving the dollar to a great extent, Florian, you think, partially? I think so, yes. It's, it's a real concern about Europe because nobody knows how the euro will look in two years. Nobody has an answer. Will Germany leave? Will the Greeks leave? Will there be a union uh, among Germany and uh, the Netherlands and France, probably? Nobody has an idea, and nobody really wants to commit to those kinds of things in this uncertain environment. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, the dollar in this view is the much better alternative, although fundamentally both currencies are sick. There's no question for me. But in the short term... I think people seeking liquidity and they go into the most liquid currency and that is the dollar. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, you and I are very much um, deflationist, as we've, as I've, as I've noted earlier in the show. Chen, on the other hand, though, is more of an inflationist, and I'm thinking, uh, Chen must be thinking as he's listening to this discussion. What are you talking about, Florian? They can just print money. Am I putting yeah. words in your mouth, Chen? Hi, <laughs> Jay. Yeah, I'm looking for a QE2 announcement from UK that's uh, uh-huh. this week. I think it's Thursday they make the announcement. I heard it's very likely they make a QE2 announcement. And as Europe, I think I would refer to Florin. He knows more 
much more about European politics than than I do. Yeah. But I think you know eventually. I mean, oh, everything. You know, at the end, every there will be a another round of money printing. Maybe Europe will do a QE. I I have no idea exactly when that will happen. But I feel. Um, on one hand, if German uh, stop refuse to rescue uh, Greece, uh, like the Greece complete default, that will bring down also Germany, you know, Germany itself. So uh, I don't know. It has to be. I think at the end, maybe you know, German, you know, would be forced to to rescue at least part of uh, of uh, Greece. Uh, uh, you know, not like you know, unlike like it completely. Uh, D4, you know, chaotic D4. So that, mm. that's my feeling. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I, I feel at the end, at the end, very end, there will probably be some, you know, massive printing at the end uh, to to pop up the bank. Uh, I heard the Belgium and then France already said they will they will support the the the, the big Belgium French bank. I forgot the name, which is uh, on the blink of default uh, this weekend. Mm-hmm. Florian, on um, the end, uh, they'll start printing. I think so. Yes, I mean uh, the the ECB is printing. Uh, it's still at a relatively modest uh, speed, but um, I mean they're buying out. Um, you know, you see they're buying Italian bonds. They're buying uh, Greek sovereign debt, Spanish debt. So uh, that's basically uh, against the constitution of Europe. There is the non-bailout clause, as we call it, and it certainly prohibits such moves. But as Chen says, they are printing. The question is um, what kind of solution will they come off to uh, really pop off the banks? Because eventually what I see, the banks are highly leveraged. They need to strengthen their capital. That is probably possible to do through the ECB system or whatever. But the larger problem is the whole indebtedness of, you know, the positions of these banks, these massive amounts of government debts they hold in their balance sheets and uh, which are not marked down. And there the question is how can they get rid of these papers when there is a haircut? So will there be another bad bank? Will it moving to the balance sheet of the ECB. It's impossible to predict such things, but I think as Chen mentioned, um, uh, and it has been the case today with the Stakesia Bank, which is at the verge of bankruptcy, the governments are ready to pump more money into it. Florian, let me ask you, this is, this is a question I don't quite quite understand, but I guess aside from the fact that the stronger currencies, the stronger countries, Germany and France, want to protect their banks. Why do they keep throwing bad money after good? Why do they keep pumping money into Greece when Greece isn't able or willing to uh, to sort of buckle down and work harder and pay their way? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Germany has a vital interest to, uh, you know, to save the euro because uh, Germany has been the biggest um, profiteer uh, profiter from the European uh, Union mm-hmm. because um, uh, while the other countries, the peripheral countries, they became weaker, 
you know, they had artificially low interest rates over the last 10 years, and that fueled consumption, it, cons- it, it fueled um, uh, construction, and there was a debt um, uh, bubble in these countries. And with this uh, artificial demand, Germany was in a very good position to grow its export through the euro by uh, lowering the interest rates to uh, ridiculously low levels in these countries. Mm-hmm. So Germany today, I mean, the, 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 the more general question for me is, I mean, how can these governments get the best way out of this situation? And um, Germany is the export motor of the European Union. Mm-hmm. So, of course, they want to stay in the euro. The worst thing for Germany would be to leave the euro and get back to any kind of a Deutschmark or a Deutschmark II because that currency would become so strong that their exports would probably collapse. Oh. And uh, I think mm-hmm. in this situation, I mean, what, as a government, what can you do? Personal consumption is in decline in Europe since the second quarter consistently. Capital investment is going down. Uh, government spending has to be cut. So the fourth and the only possibility to keep your economy growing is through exports. And that means debasing the currency, and for Germany, it means not leaving the euro. So I think these are really the uh, protection of the banks and uh, make sure that the euro doesn't break up and uh, there is no fear that Germany would exit. I think that is the dynamic behind the discussions. But the people in Germany would want to do what? Get rid of some of the weaker, the pigs countries perhaps? I think they are just not against the pigs. They are just opposing that their taxpayer money is taken out of their pocket and mm-hmm. transferred uh, to these um, uh, other countries. That has mm-hmm. never been that has never been the case in the history. And um, when you see, I mean, at least if they could have vote for or against such a measure, that would then have been okay. Yeah, but there was no vote. The problem now is that all these uh, things where you are setting up things that you don't have to respect the non-bailout clause according to the Lisbon Treaty and so forth, and the people cannot say yes or no. I think it is not democratic what's going on, and that is really what uh, is uh, bringing all this opposition. If they could have a vote, then the situation would probably look different, yeah. but not in the way it is. I see. Well, it certainly is. Um, it certainly is problematic uh, for the global economies right now. This dissension. And how is how can a businessman plan his future with all of these uncertainties, Florian? It, I mean, it just seems like it's almost impossible. I think uh, it <clears throat> it is it is almost impossible. Yeah. Mm. Uh, who can predict um, uh, what's going to happen in the long term? Uh, who has predicted a year ago that the situation will be so bad within uh, a few months? And uh, there was almost nobody. And, uh, I mean, the credit markets are probably getting tighter. Uh, Germany doesn't have a problem yet, but, of course, uh, the other countries, they will feel it sooner or later. And um, uh, I think we are at a very difficult situation because Europe was growing quite okay over the last two, three years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the euro was weak, so uh, we had a lot of imports, uh, cheap imports uh, from China, uh, and uh, Europe benefited of this strongly. But now 
it is in a difficult situation, I think also globally, because the whole world is connected. If the Europe fails, it won't be in the interest of the U.S., it won't be in the interest of Asia, and it won't be in the interest even of, of Europe. Yeah. So given that uncertainty on the currency front and the implication it has, and as I said before, you have of the four components which add together to the GDP, you have three now which are clearly in negative in a negative trend and the only thing is really exports and i think for a businessman who is strong in exports he will probably have the much better chances when they do something like another qe to debase the currency but for uh, companies which only operate locally uh, you know small entrepreneurs mm -hmm. uh, operating on a local market uh, i could assume it's going to be tougher in the future yeah. Okay, we're going to have to go to a commercial break, and when we come back, there's much, much more to talk to Florian and Chen about. Uh, we want to get the connection to, uh, to what this is going to mean for our investments. So when we come right back uh, from the commercial break, we'll be talking about where we should put our money given this horrible environment that we're looking at. So don't go away. We'll be right back after the commercial break. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Legend Gold Corp. is a gold exploration company with flagship projects in Mali, West Africa. With successful drilling programs and new discoveries this year, we are in an excellent position to advance our two gold deposits. Shareholder value is anchored at Chikamala by a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 600,000 ounces of gold. The recent addition of the Munina project offers the potential for a third gold strike. Legend Gold trades under the symbol LGN on the TSX Venture Exchange. Please go to our website at www. Legendgold.com. Merix Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merix and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $16 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merix's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters 
Northwest Quebec is one of the world's friendliest and most prolific areas for mining and exploration. One of the rising stars in this incredible region is Visible Gold Mines. From the exciting Wasimak area to Jutel, Visible Gold Mines is drilling nonstop in pursuit of the next important gold discovery in Northwest Quebec. Visible Gold Mines has the focus, experience, commitment, and resources necessary to rapidly emerge as a leader in the vibrant Quebec gold sector. Check out VisibleGoldMines.com, VGD, on the TSX Venture Exchange. Romeo's Gold offers unprecedented opportunities in the final frontier of British Columbia's Golden Triangle, a copper gold rich region with improving infrastructure. Romeo's properties are located in the vicinity of multi billion dollar deposits. With its $6 million plus drilling program underway, Romeo's Gold is focused on developing world class mineral resources in a major upcoming mining district. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network 